0: Does the Apostle Paul contradict the
1: teachings of Jesus of Nazareth? What does the Bible teach us? And in fact, what does church history teach us concerning whether or not Jesus and the Apostle Paul have two different Gospels? With me to discuss this very, very, very important topic is none other than the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe
2: Schimmel. Yeah, amen, Chad. This is something, uh, we've got a great question. Uh, we want to help the dear lady who is struggling with this because it seems as though she's falling in the hands of either atheists or Muslims or uh, Jewish folks who reject Jesus and try to find some kind of contradiction. They all fall in line doing the same exact thing, uh, saying the same thing. Well, you know, Paul and Jesus actually had a different gospel. But Chad, if they, if they had a different gospel than each other, then the apostle Paul, who loved Jesus so much, would be condemning Jesus to hell because he said, "If anyone, if even an angel, we are even an angels from heaven preach another gospel than that which we preach, let him be accursed." So he'd be calling Jesus cursed because he'd be saying Jesus preached a different gospel than the true gospel, which would be patently, you know, ridiculous, absurd on its face because his gospel is based on the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: And this is an important topic. And as Joe mentioned, this was somebody. This is a question from somebody who was having some struggles with this. Now, it does seem that this is something that might come from exterior sources not necessarily from Christians saying these things obviously so we're going to show why these questions that she has here are from exterior sources and not from brothers and sisters in Christ because the material that we have in the New Testament would absolutely show that this these I guess these lines of thought are just faulty but here's the question from Sandra Ann she says hi I am relatively new to Bible study, a couple of years now, and I am struggling with some basics. Currently, I'm stuck on several aspects to do with the Apostle Paul. Firstly, he seems to contradict Jesus over blood sacrifices and other doctrinal issues. There are no witnesses to his encounter with Jesus. He had an extremely violent history, which makes it hard to trust his account. He calls the gospel, quote, my gospel. He takes things out of context and even admits to being crafty and using guile. I know this is all very controversial, but is a new believer to overcome these obstacles? I sincerely hope you can address this question as it continues to weigh on my heart. Best wishes, mm-hmm. and God bless you all. Sandra is one of our Patreons. You guys can sign up for that on patreon.com goodfight. I want to thank you guys for always sending in some questions, and this one is a number of questions, Joe, that we want to really, really dig into right away, and These can be difficult for someone, especially if someone brings this as an accusation. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18 that the first Apletus case seems right until someone comes over and examines him. So when somebody has this case against the Apostle Paul of who wrote much of the New Testament, we have to look at it and say, okay, let's examine this, Joe, and see whether or not these things that she's been taught by someone else whether or not they are in fact true. So let's start with the first one, Joe. Uh, And the fact that there's no witnesses to this encounter that Paul had on the road to Damascus. What do we say to that when someone comes to us and says, Hey, Joe, there was no witnesses. It was just Paul himself. I saw Jesus. There was no witnesses. What do we say to that?
2: Well, that obviously doesn't fit the testimony of the Apostle Paul and the Scripture itself. Because if we believe that the New Testament is inspired by God, th- there's a constant witness that the Apostle Paul is an apostle. When you go to Acts chapter 15, he's accepted among the other apostles. Uh, Barnabas brings him in. They don't see him as a false witness. Uh, Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts, a big chunk of the New Testament. And by the way, uh Sandra, we, we pray for you. I prayed for you a couple times already in anticipation of being of giving this answer. Uh, hoping, of course, that you gave the question, you'd be listening and that God would open your heart because, as the Apostle Paul said, God is not the author of confusion and and uh, breaks our hearts that you would have confusion over this. But God is good in his providence and his grace. He wants to open your eyes to the truth here. But, Chad, when you look at the first chapter of Luke, he talks about making a careful examination of the facts by going into the history and doing looking at eyewitness accounts of Jesus' you know, life and resurrection and so forth. I'm paraphrasing it there, of course. And then when you get to the book of Acts, he basically has an addendum and it's like, hey, now this, now we're, you know, he's talking about the evidence of looking at Jesus's or what happened after Christ's resurrection. And what's crazy about this in a beautiful way is he writes to Theophilus, which means lover of God. And uh, some believe Theophilus is a literal man. Other believe Theophilus is symbolic of all lovers of God and that he is a historian par excellence as we're not going to quote all the historians who drip out on him because of his accuracy, but he, he is a historian who traveled with Paul, as you know, over and over again on missionary journeys and so forth. And the fact that they accepted him as an apostle and you have him being baptized by the Lord speaking to another person who wasn't even there saying, it basically, who would baptize the apostle Paul, the scales would fall off his, his eyes and that shows us that there were witnesses or even he's a witness. The fact that Paul had been blinded by the light of Christ and and was able to witness him, his, his sight come back. And Luke records that. So we have all kinds of wonderful testimony uh, that the Apostle Paul is who he claimed to be.
1: Yeah, and this is something I, I want to point this out from a historical reference as well. The truth is, is when we look at the Gospels and we look how the Gospels were actually handed out by the earliest Christians, we actually know that the Gospels were handed out with four Gospels intact. In in fact, the manuscript evidence that we have shows that the Gospels actually had a name, and it was a fourfold Gospel book because there were four Gospels. They were Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Irenaeus gives attestation to this very, very early, uh, attests to this very, very early in Christendom. And when we look at the very church that Jesus Christ founded, We see so clearly that over and over again, the early church referenced to Paul. We would not be able to talk about the Jerusalem council. We would not be able to talk about anything we find in the book of Acts if we don't trust the testimony that was there, not to mention, and I want to read from Galatians chapter one and also in chapter two to give a better understanding because Paul gives his testimony there. And by the way, I know one of the questions is going to be answered a little bit, and I think. Barnabas does a great job of answering that question, actually, that you asked, that the apostles had as well. But nonetheless, when we read about Paul's ministry, this is what he says, and this is in Galatians chapter 1, starting at verse 13. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. By the way, this is actually what we find in the book of Acts written by Luke. Then, three days later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that is the Aramaic version of the name Peter, and stayed with him for 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by the sight of the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing. He who once persecuted us Mm -hmm. is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they were glorifying God because of me. But check this out. He talks about the Jerusalem council in Galatians chapter 2, and he's actually going to tell us that he went and looked at and said, hey, apostles, look at this gospel and see what they changed in the gospel that he preached. It says, then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them them, the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectively worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectively worked for me also to the Gentiles. And I, I'm just pointing this out because it is so important to see, first of all, if we can't know, I mean, the whole church passing out those gospels, the, the fourfold gospel, the whole church passed around the book of Acts, and we're saying, well, we don't know if these things are true. We don't know if this actually happened to Paul. And yet we have the apostles, the ones that Jesus Christ set and gave the keys of the kingdom to, and we have them and we have Peter who said of Paul's writings that they are also graphe scriptures yep. and that people take them out of context. The very Peter who was right there, he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. We have James, the brother yep. of Jesus. We have all this. If you cannot trust the book of the gospel of Luke, the gospel, or I like, I like to call it the gospel of the Holy Spirit because it shows that the Holy Spirit the did Acts, in the church yeah. in the book of Acts. If you can't trust those, I mean, what are you going to trust in the New Testament? You can't trust
2: Peter either because in Second Peter he calls... Yeah. Paul's writing scripture. Absolutely, Chad. And, yeah, in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, Chad's uh, referring to verse 15, 16, 17, and it's there where he says specifically, uh, now we're talking Peter who wrote First and Second Peter, who is in uh, almost half the book of Acts, along with Paul being in most of the book of Acts, and we see in the middle of the book of Acts or so just about uh, them meeting each other with regard to that church council that where yeah. he was chapter accepted 15. by the apostles, and Chad's... Uh, mentioning uh, 2 Peter 3.15, where he states, yeah, directly that they twist uh, Paul's teachings, they're turning these these grace changes, they're turning grace into a license for sin, right? And they're, and when he's talking about the patience of God, he says, which Paul also spoke about, and they, te- they twist Paul's teachings as they do the rest of the, the scriptures. scriptures. So he doesn't just affirm the apostle Paul as another apostle. The apostle Peter, who was rebuked, uh, in the book of Galatians, Paul recounts that that he had to be rebuked by Paul at one point. And Peter humbled himself, and he refers to Paul's writings as the Word of God, as Scripture. So he's not just accepted among the apostles. Peter recognized that he was writing the actual Word of God. And, and you mentioned to Irenaeus. Now, Irenaeus, as you know, Chad sat under Polycarp, who sat under the apostle John. So it's not like Irenaeus is one of Paul's uh, you know, indirect disciples. Yeah. He's uh, John's disciple but he's affirming and he's giving arguments, you know, as to why God used Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he gave, goes into these kind of intricate interpretations as to uh, reasons why God used these four different men and, and, and what they were writing about and so forth. It's quite quite compelling. But uh, it, it, you have to get rid of James, basically. You have to get rid of uh, First and Second Peter. You have to get rid of the Gospel of Luke. You have to get rid of, uh, you know, uh, you have to get rid of, rid of John as well, uh, as we'll see in a moment. And actually, I'm going to go say right away, if you're going to reject the Apostle Paul, you're going to have to reject the entire New Testament because yeah. they, they're they an in inner witness of one another, as you'll see in a moment.
1: No, yeah, I, I think you really, really can't get around that, Joe. And so here's another thing that she brings up in the, the questions that, that she's obviously seeing over and over again. And I've seen these online too, like I said, and Joe mentioned already, a lot of this is from uh, Judaizers as well, or, or not even Judaizers, just those who would be the anti-missionaries. Yeah. Uh, some of the material that they put forth is that Jesus was actually a Jewish rabbi. And not only that Jesus was actually a Jewish rabbi, which is fine. If he was Jewish and he was a rabbi. But nonetheless, they would say, oh, he was actually kosher, right? And, and in fact, uh, Rabbi Shmuley Botek wrote The Kosher Jesus. And yeah. he, wrote a book, he wrote a book, The Kosher Jesus. And you can follow Jesus and still believe he's this great guy, even though he's not everything the Christians say he is. And basically, they put the blame over two people. Paul, yeah. and they say Paul actually has his own gospel. Joe, yeah. Paul has his own gospel, and so they'll quote something like Romans two fifteen through sixteen, which says, "In that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience testifying, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them, on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of mankind through Christ Jesus." And he he uses this another time, Second Timothy, I believe, as well, where Paul refers to the gospel that he's preaching my gospel, not the gospel. So, Joe, is
2: this a big problem? Uh, There's not a problem there at all. I mean, when Paul is saying my gospel, do we really believe that when he mentions over and over again and we see him being accepted by the other apostles and they had nothing to add to him, but they preach the same gospel, they say, well, really, this is my gospel. It's a different gospel. No, he's saying we all have the same gospel. And when he rebukes Peter, he's making sure Peter was in line with the gospel of grace. So I think it's important, too, that when Paul, now, Paul, guess what? He had his emphasis of the gospel was to go to the Gentiles, but it was the same gospel, and he's writing to the Romans, as you mentioned uh, when he's saying that, which is basically, and there's Jewish believers there, but he's writing to, to uh, mostly uh, Gentile believers, but Paul oftentimes, you know, personalizes things. He's so in love with Jesus, and he'll he'll, he'll talk about how he gave himself for me, you know, so I said, what does he mean he gave himself for you, Paul? You know, you could have somebody who really, believed in a really strict view of living atonement and say, the only, Jesus only died for Paul based on that verse, if you isolate it, right? No, uh, Paul's really clear that he died for the whole world. But he says things like, you know, my gospel, because he's talking about this, the good news that God's given him to preach, but he doesn't look at it as exclusively his. In fact, Paul says God does not play favorites. He's not the favoritism and the gospel is for everyone. He wants that all be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. In fact, Chad, we could talk about Jesus as being the Savior. But if I heard you say, man, Jesus is my Savior. There's my Lord and Savior, I would say... Man, Chad thinks he's Jesus is only his Savior, man. Chad, what's up with you, dude? No, I know exactly what he's saying, okay? And guess what? It's our gospel, too. Well, you, just, you mean Paul's and the two of yours? And you know I'm not saying that, but uh, you're trying to find things to twist. Paul obviously didn't believe he was only preaching the gospel.
1: No, amen. And this is one of those things because if we took the other four gospels, again, we're going back to the New Testament, the new covenant that we have that God has given us, this deposit— for so that we could know not only doctrine, but how we are to live, and we go back to it, and then we look at the gospel according to John, the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Luke, and so forth. Guys, this would be a big problem if when we're looking at those gospels, we're thinking, oh, this is a different gospel, this is a different gospel, this is a different gospel. No, that's not how it was looked at in the church, that God is the one, Jesus said he is the one who built the church, that's not how they would have looked at it either. That's definitely Definitely, not how they would have looked at this gospel message. That's right. Yeah. And so, Joe, let's move on to one. Now, I'll do this one a little quick uh, because I think it's interesting. She said he had an extremely violent history, which makes it hard to trust his accounts. Now, I have a problem with that for a couple of reasons, and I understand these are things being taught to her. Obviously, she's not just reading about them. Uh, and so forth, because a lot of what we know, actually everything of what we know about his violent history is from the same account that we're now trying to deny as being factual regarding how he came to Christ. So that's a big problem. But another thing that when I see that is you'd have a real tough time reading the book of Joshua, for example. Um, We'd have a real tough time trusting uh, quite clearly in any of the Psalms that David wrote as well. In Mm -hmm. fact, because of the blood on his hands, David was not allowed to build the temple that he wanted so badly to build for God.
2: Torah, first five books. Moses killed a man. Moses killed he a man. He was rejected at first by his own people because of that.
1: But I will give you this. This is this is true of, of this. This was something that did make the disciples hesitant, Joe, and they didn't accept mm-hmm. his testimony right away. But you know what's awesome? You know we just have been going over missionary missionary journeys and and missionaries in our youth group, with our high school uh, and middle school students. And one of the things we talked about is the encouragement of having a brother there, somebody who sees the fruit of your life and and walking in the truth and them encouraging others, because somebody can soil someone's reputation simply by putting venom out regarding someone else, even if they don't have good factual information. But yet a brother comes alongside like Barnabas, Barnabas. which is exactly what he did. Son of encouragement. For the, for the Apostle Paul to the disciples to say, no, this guy's a real brother. In fact, we've seen the fruit of what's going on in Arabia, as mentioned, and we see a good brother in the Lord in Barnabas, not bringing up accusations, but actually saying, no, this guy has the fruit of a believer. You should trust him. And guess what happens after that? The church explodes. The prophecy that Jesus said you would go out from Jerusalem to, G- to Judea and then out to the outermost, the the apostolic ministry that Jesus promised his disciples, and when they became apostles— Guess what? A lot of that happened right after Barnabas said, no, this Paul here is on our side.
2: Yeah, amen. And, and then it's not, it's not as though that Paul was this secretively violent, wicked person as a Christian. Uh, the beauty of Paul's testimony is prior to Christ, he was that way. Prior to Christ, he didn't he didn't know uh, Jesus, and God transformed his heart. So it's important to understand, even in the book of Acts, I'm looking at chapter 8, after Stephen's stone to death and Paul, who's called Saul then before his conversion, Uh, happily consents, and uh, the the scriptures, Luke, by the power of the Holy Spirit, writes, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death, and there was a great persecution that began the church of Jerusalem at that point, and so forth, but Paul, uh, Chad, states that he was a violent aggressor, that he was a blasphemer, and that he received mercy because he blasphemed in ignorance, and it's interesting because the apostle Paul uh, says he was the chief of sinners, and his life transformation that Barnabas witnessed, having spent time with him, And the other apostles, uh, they saw him as a different man. And then Paul was able to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, you know, love and peace and joy and long-suffering, jealous and goodness. We don't see him being rejected as some kind of hypocrite. We see him as a man who's radically transformed. And that's what God does. I mean, we could reject anybody in ministry because all of us have a a past. And who's to say that our hearts were not dark and and wicked prior to Christ. In fact, they were until we received forgiveness from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think it's amazing because Paul says He's an example that if God saved him as a chief of sinners, that we too, God would accept anybody who would come to him through Jesus Christ. So that kind of just, that kind of is a, that's kind of a statement against Paul's, the beauty of Paul's testimony. And I just think it's interesting because the Corinthians said that Paul's letters were really weighty. When you look at his letters, they're pretty weighty. And he said, but in their presence, he seemed weak, you know, to them. And according to, you know, when they compared it with Apollos and maybe some other uh, bold teachers. So Paul his, his, the way he was viewed, I believe by the Corinthians, isn't that he was weak. It's because he was humble among them. Okay. He was, he wrote the word of God, but he humbled them. So he was humble when he was in their midst as a loving brother. So he'd be considered humble, but you'd go out to the streets, you know, and he prayed for boldness and God would give him boldness. And, and they even wanted to worship him as a God because he spoke so boldly when he witnessed, but they're talking about when he was in their presence. That shows me that Paul, when he, when he was sharing the gospel, man, he, he, he shared like the lion of God, you know, but when he was with people intermingling with them, he was very humble. He wasn't this violent aggressor, you know, telling people, Hey man, I'm going to stab you in the back of the church building. You know, well, th- those days they had homes, right? They use, if you don't, if, if you don't, you know, follow my ministry. He wasn't all said what are we talking about here? He was a transformed man. He was Saul, the terrorist. Yes. But he became Paul, the humble apostle who was grateful for God's grace in his life.
1: Amen, and I think this that will accompany this next question, Joe, because you mentioned it, uh, the Corinthians and so forth, and Paul having to defend his ministry uh, to Corinth. And it's interesting because in Second Corinthians chapter chapter twelve verse sixteen, she says, "Look, Paul even admits to being crafty and using guile." And let me read the text for you, so you guys can see it, and then we can give you the context. And I know we want to really dig into that that last question, that actually was the first question. So I don't want to go too deep into this, but it's very it's I guess if you took this out of context, it would be like, whoa, what's going on there? But then when you find out what he means by this and how he's actually using it against his accusers, something different entirely takes place. It says in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, But be that as it may, I did not burden myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. So she's saying, look, this, this obviously shows, Joe. Paul's just deceitful. In fact, that's how he shares the gospel. That's not how Jesus did. No bad tree can bear good fruit. Paul is being deceitful here, and so he can't really be sharing the gospel here, uh, not the way that he should be, or or whatever's being done here. Obviously, this must be a false apostle then.
2: Yeah, no, Paul's obvious sarcasm (laughs) that he's using there, if you look at the context there. uh, Although we are called as Christians by Jesus to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, so Paul was crafting the way that he would go into a city and try to proclaim the gospel. He's wise. He said, I'm going to go here first among the Jews at the synagogues. Then I'm going to turn to the Gentiles and so forth. But he wasn't devilish. He was just wise, as Jesus is wise as a serpent. serpent. But he wasn't uh, using deception to deceive anybody. Uh, uh, that's a misreading of the text.
1: Yeah, and I'll, I'll read the actual context yeah. so you can see what the deceit, quote unquote, as Joe mentioned, uh, that this was not him actually using deceit, but what is he applying their idea of deceit? Because obviously they were saying, look at him being deceitful. So here's what he says. It's starting in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 12, Here for this third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you. For I did not seek what is yours, but you, for children, are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. Certainly, I would not have taken advantage of you through any of those whom I have sent to you. Have I? I urged Titus to go, and I sent the brother with him. Titus did not take advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps the way he's being deceitful is by not taking advantage of them, is by simply having yeah. his own means. It's irony. And what's sad is, is that that can be used when he's clearly pushing and clearly pointing, I am trying to do everything I can to yeah. not remotely take advantage being of you, and reproach. this is my deceit. Yeah. This is my deceit. That, that No, he is not being deceitful. He is mocking, in all honesty, the ridiculous argumentation used against against him by the quote unquote super apostles, yeah. as he mentions. But nonetheless, Joe,
2: it's a, it's a sarc- sarcastic irony. Is what the,
1: it, it's interesting these uh, these shorter versions of the show. They go really quick, Joe, and so we're going to have to streamline the maybe the most important part, and that is the fact that somebody has maybe convinced her, or at least got it in her head. It doesn't mean she's convinced of it that. Jesus and Paul contradict and this is the most important part on blood sacrifices or other doctrinal issues, Joe?
2: Yeah, well this question whether you know Jesus taught differently than Paul about sacrifices is, is it could have come from you know anti-missionary Jews, it could have come from Muslims, it could have come from atheists, it could have come from Judaizers who don't believe that we should trust in Jesus' blood, deny the full-blown gospel that we're supposed to be doing these works uh, to earn, earn his favor. Uh, but I went to one specific website which gives a similar argument about sacrifice. What are they saying when, when she's saying that there's a disagreement on you know what those guys taught regarding sacrifices versus Jesus and Paul? Uh, this website says, uh, sacrifices to God, it's, it's labeling supposed contradictions between Jesus and Paul. Uh, sacrifices to God, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Ephesians 5, 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So they're saying, hey, Paul believes that salvation is through Jesus giving his life for us, but that's not what Jesus taught. And they say of Jesus that Jesus says in Matthew 9, 13, they quote him, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So they're saying, hey, uh, Jesus doesn't want sacrifice. Jesus wasn't about sacrifice. He didn't sacrifice himself. And, and Paul just kind of made up this gospel. Hence, it's my gospel, right? Uh, well, this is, I'm just, I say this in love, but this is, you know, patently absurd when you look at Jesus' own teaching on this. And we look at the scriptures on this. First of all, Matthew chapter nine, uh, Paul quoted Hosea twice, Hosea 6, 6, in Matthew nine thirteen and elsewhere. And when he's referring that he desires Mercy and not sacrifice. What's going on there? We want to just take that line. It's called proof texting, and not look at the context. Is Hosea is dealing with people who uh, are all there. Okay, it's okay for them to offer sacrifices, but their hearts don't belong to God. They haven't sacrificed their hearts to God. They're not walking in love. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with that whole heart, soul, strength, and mind. The whole reason there had to be a sacrifice is because people turned away from loving God. They beat up and brutalize each other, and therefore they deserve judgment. Therefore, there has to be an ultimate sacrifice in Christ giving his life because the law of love is broken. But Jesus was rebuking the religious leaders of his day saying the same thing's happening with you guys. You're all about giving sacrifices, you know, the temple and everything else. But you know what God's really after? He's after your heart. And what they weren't saying was, but guess what—the whole sacrificial system that God, you know, very in detailed order in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Exodus gave them with regard to sacrificial animals. God didn't really want that. He made a big mistake, or or we're misunderstanding Him. No, they weren't saying throw up, throw off the entire sacrificial system. It's not what they were saying at all. In fact, I'll give you some evidence is of that. First of all, we read in Leviticus seventeen eleven, it is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Without blood atonement, we we couldn't be. Uh, forgiven, and it was the appointment of Jesus' ultimate atonement for us. Leviticus 16. Uh, basically, the holy place was sprinkled. Everybody, the high priest, everybody was cleansed by the blood of the uh, on the day of atonement of the sin offering. Even the paschal lamb, the Passover lamb in Exodus, that was given uh, and sprinkled on the doorpost, and, and the, you know, making the form of a cross. That also was given for the sacrifice of the people uh, or for the firstborn. In fact, it's interesting. We read, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So it's important to understand that Hosea is speaking specifically. He's not saying scrap the entire sacrificial system. God really made a mistake in saying all that about all these animal sacrifices. No, what he's saying is that God wants your hearts. And those animal sacrifices that are being given that point to ultimately to Christ, that they'll avail you, they won't avail you anything ultimately if your heart's not right with God. And I think this is important. And I'll give you some evidence of this. In Psalm 141, when David uh, says, may my prayers be as incense to you. So instead of the incense that would burn, uh, say for the, the 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 night sacrifice at the temple, you know, the, the daily sacrifices at noon and at three o'clock, he says, and the lifting up of my hands be as an evening sacrifice. The evening sacrifice was at 3 p.m. The earlier one was at noon. And Paul's saying, let Let my prayers be to you as the evening sacrifice. Is he saying, and what we're going to do here is, you know, the tabernacle that's done and the temple, the Ark of the Covenant that I've so celebratively was excited about and the house that my son's going to build. That's all a joke, really. I'm not really into those sacrifices. This replaces the sacrifices. Paul obviously wasn't saying that. You know how we know that? Listen to this. In Psalm 51, he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. So are we to say, Chad, Okay, so God really just wants a broken spirit. That's the real sacrifice. Animal sacrifices, no. No, we know that's not true because you know what Paul goes on to say? Listen to this. He says, then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Now we get the context. God's saying, hey, you know what? You're doing these sacrifices, but I want your heart. And when your heart's right, guess what? Guess what? then the sacrifices will be accepted because those sacrifices only point to Jesus. And by the way, the evening sacrifice that David talked about at three, well, the earlier sacrifice was at noon. That's when Christ went to the cross and was still the cross, right? Then you got you got nine, you got noon, you got three. And at three o'clock, you have that final sacrifice. Right when they're offering that sacrifice, Jesus Christ says, it is finished, paid in full, to tell us I slam dunk. Jesus was all about the gospel. And in John chapter nine, we see very clearly or 19. We don't have time to go to all these texts. I'm going to reference a few of them really quickly. Is in John chapter 19 when Jesus is on the cross. That's where he says it is finished. And we also read that John says that they were going to break his legs because they would speed up the crucifixion that way. Because it was because the Sabbath was coming. Nobody could work on Sabbath. So we've got to kill him quick. But they came to him, He was already dead because he had he had already said it is finished. He had already poured out of his blood for our sins. And it's, John says by doing this he fulfilled the scripture regarding the Passover lamb that not one of its legs was to be broken. John, not just Paul, understood Jesus' his sacrifice as to be that of the Passover lamb. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but having a futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Jesus himself said, so you have to throw out John, the Apostle John. You have to throw out Luke. You have to throw out Acts. You have to throw out. Uh, you have to throw out uh, Peter. Right. You have to throw all the New Testament out. Then, and then you have Matthew twenty twenty eight. Jesus says, "Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and give His life as a ransom for many." In fact, in Matthew twenty six verse twenty eight, we read Jesus says at the communion service. Okay, which was the new covenant commemorating his death for their sins, which would take place near, right after this. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So you would have to throw out Jesus, man. It was all about forgiveness. His whole gospel was based on forgiveness. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, goes on to talk about the gospel and how Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after this, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, and so forth. And then Luke, you'd have to throw out, go preach, forgiveness, Jesus says, or repentance for the remission of the forgiveness of sins. That's Jesus' gospel, folks. We can go on and on. You have to throw out the entire New Testament. You have to throw out the book of Revelation chapter 5 and the entire book because it's based on the Lamb who gave himself to redeem people from every nation, people, kindred, and tongue. You have to throw out the entire New Testament. Therefore, you have no Jesus. You have no gospel. It's a huge deception to separate the Apostle Paul from the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus saith the Lord what God has brought together that no man set apart.
0: Amen. You've been listening to the Good Fight radio show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com/goodfight or you can write to us at PO Box 2202, Simi Valley, California 93062 or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884.